Welcome back to the Enjoy the Walk podcast. As always, this is your host, Dalton, with my good friends, Isaiah and Dante. Happy New Year's, guys. We're, we're in 2020. What's happening? Long time, no see. It's good to be in 2020 for now. So far, so good, right, guys? Yeah. Good old roaring 20s. Oh, man, I tell you what, if this is the, if this is the decade we go back to the Gatsby era parties, I'm all about it. Sign me up. I think I, <laughs> I saw some posts, I think, on Instagram of people having Gatsby parties. Yeah, you know, it's, ringing it's in time. It's absolutely time. Well, I know what else it's time for, guys. We are going to do an entire podcast today on what we think each of our top 10 moments of the last decade, uh, the 2010s, uh, was as far as the golf industry goes. So top 10 moments as far as, you know, people – places, things happen, technology, whatever top 10 that we thought, we're going to go over it today, guys. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoy following along and um, it brings back some good memories of the golf industry as a whole. Um, and hopefully, you know, if you guys want to reach out to us and tell us what you think your top 10 is, feel free to tag us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore enjoy the walk. So guys, let's get into this. Isaiah, what's, what's, your, what's your 10? What's your number 10 on that list? Man, uh, you would think it would be something related to Tiger Woods, since ten is our technically a, our number one. But I could have made a top ten just on Tiger Woods. Let's put that out there. I think we all could have, if we're being honest. But for the sake of how much publicity he already gets by himself and the prowess that he has on the course, um, I decided to go with someone else, um, Zander Shoffley, and his first rookie, um, his rookie winning appearance at the Tour Championship. I love that. He came out, I won't say came out of nowhere that year, but as a rookie, you don't expect a rookie to contend in a tour championship mentality like that. So I thought it was really neat to see him step up on that big of a stage. And um, I think as we've said in previous podcasts, he's knocking at the door um, to, to win a major championship very soon, I think, if not in 2020. So now that's, that's a great uh, start to our list here, you know, He's always up there in the top fives of these big major events. And on top of it all, um, him coming down the stretch and to make a clutch birdie on the final hole to beat out someone we considered to be more of a seasoned vet in Justin Thomas, mm -hmm. um, for him to step up and, and to pull out the birdie that he did on the final hole, that's, that's pretty incredible, especially coming up uh, against a guy like Justin Thomas. He's a really solid player. Yeah, and I think in that year, too, Justin was playing some fiery golf coming down the stretch there. So, uh, and what most people that I play with call stones, that took some real stones to, to bury a putt like that on the 18th uh, in a tour championship. So, so Dante, what's your, uh, what's your match to Xander Schauffele at the tour championship as your number 10 on the top 10 so list? So, is, is, 10, is 10 like the least, and then one obviously is going to be yeah, our favorite? We'll, we'll finish with our best moment of the 2010s. All right, so I'm gonna go with Jordan or yeah, Jordan Spieth's John Deere hole out win mm. at 
because that kind of just basically set him up for success for like the next three, four years. Absolutely. I and mean, you know, I was watching YouTube videos on the decade. I was like, wow, I forgot about that. And he's also done it too. Uh, another time, I forget which tournament that was. I don't know where later. it was, but I know it was against Daniel Berger. And I have felt yep. so bad against Daniel Berger because all he could do is give him the thumbs up and be like, you son of a gun. You did it <laughs> <Yeah>. again. <laughs> so that's my 10 sitting right. Number 10 is Jordan you know, Spieth. I had an eerie feeling we were going to have similarities, but I didn't know it was going to happen this soon. Yep. Right I also bat. picked. I also picked Jordan Spieth, but in a different moment in his career in the 2010s, uh, when he was 16 years old, he made the cut at his first PGA Tour event in Dallas. It was also that same year that he broke an AJGA record of winning by nine shots, largest largest margin of victory in an AJGA event. Um, and that was kind of a, a eerie, uh, not really eerie, but a, a sign of things to come for Jordan Spieth in his young career. Um, you know, we talk about his win at the the John Deere in holding out that bunker shot. And um, so, yeah, I, I chose Jordan Spieth's amateur career as like kind of a kickoff of, of this top 10 because, um, spoiler alert, I might have had him later in my list as well for yeah. another defining moment. But um, but yeah, Jordan Spieth uh, was definitely a name to be uh, kind of in the household of the 2010s, no doubt and, about it. And it's funny too, because I'm going to be very interested to see what you guys have to say. Like the listeners have heard before, I've gotten to golf later than you guys have. So it's almost going to be a refresher, if not <laughs> a learning experience. Whoa, that just happened? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, even just making these lists and kind of just thinking like of the stuff that I even saw myself going over, I was like, oh my Lord, that happened eight that years ago? ago? Like it feels like <laughs> yesterday, you know? And I'm like, I'm replaying these shots that I watched on TV in my head and it's like, good Lord, I just, it doesn't feel that long ago. But, you know, something else that doesn't feel long ago, and I'll just jump right into my number nine, is Rory McIlroy's insanity of his play that he had at congressional in the u.s open win at only 22 years old coming off the absolute meltdown he had at augusta what looked like walking into sunday with the green jacket on the first tee mm. ended up being an absolute blowout uh or blow up for him turning that kind of you know heartbreak into an absolute blowout at the u.s open uh beating second place jason day by eight strokes um he put on a driving display and kind of defined his career and what his strong points were at that U.S. Open. Um, so that's my number nine. You know, I would say with with your number nine, um, Day, uh, he definitely gave up some, some strokes coming down the stretch. Um, but needless to say, if, you, if you're making it that far at that level of golf and playing on Sunday in that event, um, clearly you're meant to be there and you're a fantastic player. But another guy that's known for giving up strokes would be Kevin Na. As we remember, he gave <laughs> up, uh, what was it, 13 or 14 shots from the woods down in Texas. But that's not the particular event I'm referencing. It would be him playing at the Tour Championship where he recorded the fastest round in PGA history, an hour yes. and 59 minutes. He was basically running between every shot. Um, his goal was to play as fast as he could. And astonishingly, he birdied his last four holes of the round. So with That's the stigma absurd. behind playing fast or, or playing too slow, it just goes to show that if you're um, 
if you're not lollygagging, if you're running around sprinting, you don't have to take that much time. So now granted, well. he, he was playing by himself that day, correct? It was just him and like a spotter. There was someone was, walking along with him, keeping score. Yeah. I would say it was him, his caddy and most likely a spotter, but aren't the, uh, the camera crews on the course, aren't they technically spotters? Technically, I believe so. And that's just, I love when you say that. And, and, and I think we've talked about it before and we'll surely get it, get into it again in the 2020 season. Um, pace of play is a serious issue out there on tour. And to see someone have success like that and make four birdies in a row while practically sprinting between shots. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does just go to show it, um, all this calculation and all this thought process and green reading and this, that, and the other thing, like go out and hit your shot read the line, make the putt. Golf's a simple game if you break it down. And uh, that's, that's a pretty neat uh, number nine. It, it, something I forgot about until, until you brought it up. <laughs> Dante, who you got? Who's your number nine? John Rahm, when he sunk that long putt at the Farmer's Insurance. Yeah. In 17. Yes, sir. <laughs> he kind of goes off of the Jordan, my number 10 with Jordan Speed is that, I feel as if that putt and that win right there put John Rahm more on the radar and kind of put him up for more success down the road for, you know, these upcoming seasons. Was that his rookie year? I think it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe so. Yeah. Because, I mean, that putt – I mean, if you look at it, it was a a downhill snake slider, you know, and you just – it was from the fringe. Was it from the fringe? Oh yeah, he wasn't on the green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was. And he was in the fringe, and then he sunk it. I, that that was pretty remarkable to see that putt. I mean, that could have gone a hundred different ways. Well, that's but, it, and the where the pin placement was on that day. Exactly. It, as hard as he hit that putt, if it didn't hit the hole, it had a chance of going like there's a false front there that goes right into the water where that pin placement was on Sunday. So I mean, it, it could have gone a lot different and changed his career. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. getting that. I feel like anybody on their rookie year that just gets a win out on tour, it just builds so much confidence. And like, not that they don't have confidence cause they're out there already, but it just gives them a sense of like, Hey, I belong here. And not only do I belong here, like I'm here to stay because a win on the PGA tour. And, and I, you know, Isaiah, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You might know it a little better, but a win gives you like a guaranteed two years, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Mm-hmm. PGA with, is a guaranteed two years. Yeah. So to, and imagine so, <laughs> the, the the relief off your shoulders on that mm-hmm. because you're going to go day to day and week by week, tournament by tournament. Yeah, you kiss thinking, Monday you kiss Monday qualifiers goodbye for a pretty good while and that's got to be a damn good feeling. And yeah. that I feel like is a big stress relief to where you, now you can really hone in on your game and really even take some more aggressive shots in certain rounds. Mm-hmm. Just so you know you have the secured card at that time to you know you take a little bit more aggressive swings or more aggressive approach during a tournament that could actually be a better outcome for a win another even off the course even off the course i feel like travel wise and you know just making your own schedule and saying hey you know if i want to take this week off like it's not going to cost me my card like you know and and that's another big thing too where they can just kind of plan their year a little bit more stress free stress free um, and he started playing a lot of like European tour events too. And as you see this year with him winning the, winning the race to Dubai, um, he's, he's a world-class player and he's around to stay for a long time. Um, but, you know, kind of speaking of like all world-class play and everything, my number eight is rule changes. 
and the new rules that came out in 2019. Mm. Um, and you know, I think the biggest rule change of them all is playing or your drop from the knee. I'm not a hundred percent sold that everyone's still doing it correctly. No. And if they, and if they are, it looks so wimpy and so just non-athletic. It's just possibly the worst rule change out of everything that I think a lot of good movement has been made in these 2019 rule changes. I think for pace of play, you know, five minutes to three minutes and looking for your ball playing up on any of these uh, hazards, you know, without a bounds, you can drop and uh, play with the one stroke penalty. You know, I think there's a lot of things that are moving the game forward, but that's got to be one of the most unathletic rule changes I think the game's ever made. <laughs> yeah. I'd say we took a step forward in a lot of different areas for rule changes, but in a sense, we've also taken two steps back. So we've put in a lot of effort, or the USGA rather, put in a lot of effort to redefine what a bunker is or what a hazard is or mm -hmm. the general area or penalty area. But one of my biggest pet peeves that we'll probably never see changed is not being able to move your ball out of a divot in the middle of the fairway. And if you're one of those people that regularly hits fairways, you will complain if you say that they shouldn't change that rule. Well, obviously you don't hit too many fairways, so <laughs> you can just shut up. <laughs> well, and I think yeah. too, when you start getting into tournament golf, um, as you know, we've seen, there's so, especially if you're on the same course for four days straight, the same landing areas, no matter how much they move the tees 10, 15 yards up, back, or whatever, you're hitting out of the same spots. And come the third day and especially the fourth day, you're going to find at least two or three divots throughout the day, especially if you're really playing good golf. And it is one of those frustrating things. It's like you're being penalized for good shots. And I think there's a lot of room in the, in the rules to still allow people to be, or I should say there's a lot of area in the rules to be had yet to let people be rewarded for good shots that are still being penalized. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, I think we'll round off that conversation by saying or getting your guys' opinion on the whole flag stick in or out rule. That has been the most viral rule that has, you know, taken over this year's uh, PGA and mm -hmm. um, maybe RNA. Yeah. I don't know if the RNA will jump on board, oh. but Speaking of that, you know, I have mixed feelings with the flag stick in. On a pace of play level, I definitely think it speeds up play at times, especially if you're playing with a group of guys who, you know, are just going out and having some fun and just hacking it around. Who cares? You don't have to worry about it because they may not even be the best of putters. On the flip side, there's a little bit more negatives, in my opinion, now it's if say you have a 50 foot putt or even a four foot putt the question is before do you want me to tend that yeah now it's just you want it in or out you want it in or you want it out every single time and then even with your group of your foursome you're you're talking <laughs> about within the round as you're walking up to the green or while you're on the green hey you guys like it in or you like it out and then you got to explain well you know if it's outside 10 feet i like it in <laughs> it's inside 10 feet. I want it. I want it out. And then the group's yeah. like, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. We'll, we'll just take it out. And it's almost as if you have to feel. 
it's brought peer pressure back into it because if the, yeah. if one person of the group you know, doesn't agree, you're, try, well, yeah, you're trying you're to enjoy, <laughs> you're trying to enjoy your round, but in the back of your mind, now you're worrying about the three other playing partners. Well, what if I want it out? They all like it in. How am I going to look? Ah, you know, screw it. I'm just going to put it in. And then you hit a shot and it ricoch- <laughs> ricochets right off the pin. I'm pissed. And yeah. I've had that. I've taken three foot putts and I just playing by myself after work. Boom. Well, now it, it does. It, it, it just right brings back. in that whole like catch 22. Even if you pull it out and you hit it a little too hard and it pops off the back and goes out again, it's like, well, what if I put it in? It's like now it's a never ending conversation. Yeah, but um, that's, that's my, my viewpoint on the pin. It, that it's, it's definitely been the bad. most con- controversial rule, I believe, of, of 2019. And not really controversial as in, you know, people hating the rule, but just the controversial from the aspect of people choosing one side or the other, or just being stuck in the middle. So yeah, that's my eight. Um, and I'd love to hear your guys's eights. <laughs> What's yours? My eight is Nike leaving the golf manufacturing business. Ooh. And yeah, in 16, I think they were on the brink of making some solid stuff at around that time coming out. I'm looking back, looking at some, you know, models, uh, they can do away with some of the the, the loud colors, and uh, that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. But they were they were pushing and making some solid clubs. I just I don't know. Maybe it was kind of the the uncertainty of Tiger. But yeah, Nike leaving golf and manufacturing clubs and all that. I don't know. I think that would have been a miss on their part. Granted, they're making a lot more money elsewhere, <laughs> <laughs> so they probably were like they didn't want to put it that much. R and D and time and money into something that they felt probably the profit margin wasn't as what they wanted to see. But yeah, my number eight, like you leaving the golf industry on a manufacturer aspect. Yeah, I feel that's a great one. And I always look back on it now, especially with, you know, Tiger um, having the success he's been having over the last two years now and, you know, the major win. And um, I just, if they could have held on a little longer, I feel like the boom of Nike products in 2019 would have surpassed maybe a couple of years of loss that they were taking on. Cause I mean, you just look at Taylor May now and them coming out with the tiger wood blades and um, some of the, a lot of the tiger wood merch. And uh, I mean, it's just anything that tiger woods associates himself with is a cash cow, especially when he's winning. So um, yeah, that's, that's a great one. And I think it was a little bit of a shock to the golf industry when they did kind of pull out of the, the club market. Um, but like you said, them, them focusing in on just clothing has definitely not hurt them. <laughs> no, it almost their, seems <laughs> the revenue, the revenue with the clothing industry is, is enormous. Their yeah. profit margins are incredible, but when I see, you see them dive into the Jordans now too, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Jordan market with the golf shoes and everything. And, um, I definitely think that, um, probably from a strategic perspective in a long, long term, um, Tiger's going to fizzle out and he was their guy. They didn't really have anybody after him. I mean, Rory was with him for a little bit. Once he left, they didn't have a team. You know, they didn't have a a deep set or like what these guys call now a stable of players mm-hmm. that you know to pull from. So I mean, they to ride or die on one guy had to be stressful. <laughs> yeah. Well, when your uh, your one guy has you know a freaking billion dollars sitting in his bank account, um, that's not the most concerning. But I would say they're their golf ball was horrible 
at best when it <laughs> Absolutely. started. Um, the fact that they decent. had a specific go- they, they had a specific golf ball just for Tiger <laughs> yeah. that like they were probably just painting Nike logos on Pro V's at that point because they're, yeah, I mean, it was legitimately they had no good marketable golf ball yep. at all. <laughs> all was terrible drivers were actually decent i hit a couple of those i like the way they sounded heck of a lot better than that um nike sasquatch driver they had made when they came out with the victory series driver that thing was Except a tin can square, the square yeah. one yeah that was uh that was a beast. you knew yeah. where um the player on the course was that had that nike driver at all times <laughs> absolutely and if and if any of our listeners don't know what we're talking about just look up a simple youtube video or go to like your local thrift store because that's about the only place most of those sasquatches end up these mm-hmm. days are our local thrift stores you'll find wow. them so for me it didn't bother me that much that nike got out of the club making industry there's so many other highly competitive companies that were out absolutely. there making far more technologically advanced equipment in comparison to what Nike had to offer with probably the exception of the Tiger Woods blades. Those are probably the most beautiful irons I have (laughs) ever seen in production. But uh, moving on to my number eight is actually going to be Phil Mickelson's chip from behind the green. I want to say it was at the Wyndham where he had flown the green a little long and, and appeared to the left. There was actually a, how would you describe it? A railroad type bunker that he'd flown over (laughs) and he elected to not call an official in the situation. And the ball was sitting behind this wall, right? So he flies it over and he ends up hitting the chip to about two, three feet after hitting the wooden boards. So the ball makes contact with it, pops up in the air, lands on the green, Mm. rolls to about a kick in. What year was that again? I want to say it was 2015 or 16. Don't quote me on that. Hmm. But yeah. it was an incredible shot. So that would be yeah. my number eight. Show some love I, for the lefties. It's really funny. <laughs> um, and I'm I'm going to roll into uh, – I'd hate to cut your eight short, but I'm going to just keep rolling on the Phil Mickelson theme because my seven is also Phil Mickelson. So we can kind of play on Phil a little bit here. But um, just to tell you how good the rest of the decade got, this is at seven. And I think this is one of the most historic shots in – golf history Mickelson's shot at 13 from the pine straw in route to his first master's win in 2010 so it came just at the beginning of the decade but that shot has been played on every highlight reel of every master's introduction since it happened um and the fact that he had to talk his caddy out of it more than like seven times his caddy wanted him to lay up bad and Mickelson just would not let bones talk him out of it. So the fact that he, after his caddy wanted to like snap his club in half was allowed to hit that shot, let alone pull it off. I think is one of the most incredible um, Phil Mickelson moments of the decade for sure. And probably one of the best golfed moments in history. uh, Did you watch the Phil Mickelson interview with Faraday? On the golf channel? I did not. he, he, He brought up that scenario that pine straw shot and he told Faraday that that was the highest percentage shot that he had because he's a numbers guy he's all about the numbers and he said out of all the options that he could have done his best chance of getting the best score was hitting that shot wow I guess and the only reason I can think of because I haven't seen that uh that interview but the only reason I can think that it was a high percentage is because he knew it was going to fly out of that pine straw so worst case scenario it was long he definitely wasn't going to end up short in Race Creek, 
unless he somehow snapped his hands on that tree in front of him. But, I mean, what an epic shot. And just the in the moment on a Sunday at Augusta when most people, as we saw in this past year, just choke it down the stretch, he puts a long iron to tap in range on a par five into. I mean, it, absolutely epic. And I think it, Isaiah goes back to your number eight. I think he's just got – a little bit more I don't know if it's just confidence or um, just know-how of how to play those shots and maybe it goes back to what Dante said and being a numbers guy and just kind of taking that risk that calculated risk Um, but Mickelson's ended up on a lot of top tens here here's an experience that's what it comes down to I mean he's been hitting golf balls longer than any of us have been alive so Absolutely. he just knows his way around the golf course and he knows what he's capable of doing. And when you so, uh, put 40,000 hours in, you know exactly what you can do when you need to do it. So, Amen. I, I yeah. think so Dante, is. what is your, uh, does, does your number seven involve Phil Mickelson too? <laughs> nope. My number got? seven is the Italian stallion, Francisco Molinari and mm. his open championship win. Mm. I got to give love to the Italian. Uh, I thought that was just awesome because he kind of was like always around and he was there, but I believe during that time, he just was grinding on his game and just became so consistent with his irons and, you know, was working with coaches to gain speed. So I don't think he was the longest hitter before and then was able to gain all this yardage and just came out and came out and just won. That was pretty cool to say, you know, he's, you see them in the mix here and there, but then you see other players. You see your Rickies, your Jordans, your Tigers, your Phils. It's like the, almost the same people. And then Francisco comes out of nowhere and, you know, wins that. And it kind of almost wasn't like Tiger not too far behind. It was almost like a battle between the They two were battling bit. down the stretch yeah. until so, Tiger I mean, made they, that double. Yeah, yeah. And then, you got Tiger, <laughs> then you got Tiger Woods in it too. So I'll never forget it. It's actually it's actually really funny, and it's like I'll not never forget it because of Francesco Molinari, but I'll never forget that that weekend because Tiger was in the mix. I was actually at the beach that weekend, and my dad, like my dad and I, hiked it in early to go watch Tiger possibly win another, you know, another major. Um, and then, you know, not to say that Tiger gave it to him because Francesco was just unflappable all weekend that yeah. that year. But uh, Tiger yeah. made that weird double down the stretch where he pulled it left of the bunker and tried to, you know, be the hero shot and left it mm-hmm. back in the bunker. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, talking about Francesco Molinari being one of those guys that was never long, Dante, I think he's your height or a little, a little taller. So he, he's one of those shorter, like, Italian players. And he has done worlds to put distance in his game the last, like, three years. And it's really paid off on, on a completely world level of golf. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely awesome to see because, you know, Tiger's coming back in the mix. I'm I'm in the golf now. I see Francisco Molinari. You know, I had Italian heritage. It's in my blood. I I couldn't. I was torn between the two. I wanted, you know, it was cool to see Francisco win because that's just awesome to see. But at the same, and I was all right. Come on, Tiger. Let's come on. Let's do. Let's make some history here. But yeah, that was that was awesome. So that was my number seven. I love that. And that now it's uh it. I didn't give any love to the uh, to the Europeans or to the other guys. You know, uh, I, I stuck to mostly a, an American uh, favored top ten. But um, as you'll see a little later, I, I don't think it's all American. So we'll, we'll get into that. But what is all American uh, is my number six. Uh, I chose the task force as my number six. 
um, what they dubbed the innovative team of captains after the 2014 loss in the Ryder Cup. Um, you know, Freddie Couples, Tiger Woods, um, Steve Stricker, all those guys got together and said, listen, we're sick of getting our asses kicked by these damn Europeans and Ian Poulter and his <laughs> stupid Euro super superhuman putter. Um, let's fix this shit. And so the, I think the task force has been something great for American golf um, since they formed that in 2014. Uh, including this year's Ryder or President's Cup at Royal Melbourne, they are five and one. They've only lost one Ryder Cup since. Um, so I think you know, as far as a resurgence of American golf, you know, playing well in these world events and the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, um, it's done a great deal to help. I think the overall camaraderie too. I think you look at the U.S. teams prior to 2014, especially when Tiger was in his early years. Guys weren't necessarily like best friends you know they were just kind of oh well yeah you're usa i'm usa i guess i'll have to play with you now it's these guys are like we're brothers dude i want to play with you you see spieth and thomas going out and, and you know trying to be wanting to play with each other and in the most recent president's cup freaking jt and tiger looked like brothers out there playing like they had played you know together since high school i mean it's just the camaraderie of the team since the task force has looked a, a lot better and i think that was a uh, definitely a highlight of the last decade yeah i honestly thought it was corny as hell when it came out <laughs> i think we all did we're like what is this what are we doing like star wars now what are we <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me i just shook my head but based on what you're saying statistics show so i guess it was a good thing but at first when i saw that i just put my head down shook it and it's like why I think we I think we all had to at first though, right? Cause we had just gotten schlacked for like the last 17 years. And it's like, what are we going back to grade school with this task force? That's going to whip us into shape. And then I don't know, you know, eight years later, here we are. And it, it's paid off so far. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. For those conversations though, when the task force comes in, wouldn't you just love to be a fly on the wall during that conversation to see what's actually said? Because I highly doubt that anything the captains are going to say has anything that's highly motivational or is going to completely change the thought processes of the players. I mean, we're talking about the best players in the world. How are two captains going to completely shift that momentum and their thought processes? I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Tiger Woods has been a part of it, whether he's been a player or not since 16, I think when he was co-captain at the Ryder cup, when he was still hurt. Mm -hmm. um, now I, I'm not a top world player, so I don't really know how this works, but if Tiger Woods steps in the room and gives me a little speech, it might work. Yeah. I got my pen and pencil out of that. Yeah. Point. But in previous years when Tiger was not a captain. Oh, I'm not letting Hale Irwin convince me of playing good golf. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I think he was a great golfer and no disrespect to Hale Irwin, but you're not getting me pumped up to go out there and step on throats like Tiger Woods is going to be able to do. And I think now Tiger's 44. He's got 30 more years to be a captain at least. He'll, he'll, be, in a, he'll be a playing captain at the Ryder Cup next year. I can guarantee that. Mm -hmm. Or two years, four years from now, if someone else is already the captain at uh, Whistling Straits. But Tiger's on that team for a long time, and that's going to pay dividends. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So that's my six. <laughs> How about you, Logue? What What do you got for six? Man. Um, mine is actually going to take us back to Whistling Straits with Jason Day and his uh, PGA Championship win as his first major. Yeah, that was, that was pretty big. Cause I, I do remember that because he took – was it that par three? All I remember, he like bombed one right down the middle or did something. And then I think Jordan just gave him the thumbs up. Basically, like, this, <laughs> this was like yours. Like, congrats. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. He was just, he was tight rope. He was just ripping. The, and now that, that course is very challenging. I don't know if you guys ever played there, but seeing the videos and I never played there. I, was, I haven't, I but just, I don't even know if I want to go play there. Just looking at all the bunkers, <laughs> I would just, I'd walk off. I'd get so heated. <laughs> all I do remember of that week, and I don't remember much of it, but he was one of the most mentally locked in dudes that entire week. Just you, you could see him. He was closing his eyes on the tee box, visiting the shot, stepping up, going through his routine each and every time. And if something went wrong, just on a little like blip of like, Oh, I didn't step into it. Right. He'd step off and he'd do the whole thing again, like from the top. I just remember that being something vivid that I remember from that week. And it, it just goes to speak of like the mentality you have to have to step into a major championship, I think. And, and Jason day was just so locked in that, that year. Yeah. It sucks that he's on the slower pace, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, but, and now he struggled with vertigo. And I mean, that's, oh, a, that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But uh, Jason Day is definitely when he's on is still today a world class golfer. But oh, his, his story further behind that, if the listeners don't know, Jason Day was literally raised in a junkyard in Australia and scrounged some money together to get to go to, uh, you know, a quote unquote golf academy um and and then from there it, it springboarded his career into college golf and you know at that point he just grinded his tail off and now you see the success he's having today but in majors i want to say he was in the top five finishers in seven majors beforehand before he finally broke through so when spieth gave him a thumbs up spieth knew there was blood in the water and that tournament was his to win and it showed when he got to the 18th hole he had about a 50 foot lag putt which if you guys don't know in tournament golf i say lag putts are some of the hardest um shots that you have to execute and he nearly made it he lagged it from 50 feet um it appeared to break pretty hard from right to left to about um about a foot from the hole. So his distance control was great, nearly made it. And he started breaking down crying before he even got up to hit his second putt. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. I think those kind of stories is, is what golf needs more of those kind of like rags to riches stories. Cause we talk about it all the time. You know, we, we do this podcast for everyday listeners and everyday people who just love to play the game that, you know, if, if you're listening and have a million dollars in the bank account, then good for you. But we come from, you know, everyday folk and uh, we love those stories of uh, the guys that didn't start with much and uh, ended up making it big on tour. Um, and another guy that I can think of that kind of had that same grow up uh, that's playing in uh, tournament of champions this, this weekend is Joaquin Neiman. Um, he started on a little farm in Chile and is uh, you know, came up through the junior ranks with just hand-me-down clubs, anything they could find just to scrap them together to, um, to, to play 
any kind of competitive golf, and now he's a he's a winner on the PGA Tour. So um, like the same as the Seve Ballesteros. Yeah, I love that way. story. Yeah, grew up. I watched that movie. You know, he grew up on the farm, and they were all about him playing golf and all that. But you know, he came from just you know your your working class family. Wasn't yeah. really handed. I mean, he had to find the clubs or make them. Yeah. And I would, I would love to uh, find more folks like that. And I know there's more stories out there like that on not only the tour, but you know, corn Ferry tour and the Canadian tour and, and some of the lower tours as well. So I'd, I'd love to, um, if any, any of our listeners have uh, connections with folks that have that kind of upbringing, uh, please let us know. And we would love to have them on the show and uh, yes. shoot the shit with them. Cause that's, uh, that, that's what we're here for. So tag us at underscore, enjoy the walk, either Instagram or Twitter. And, uh, hopefully we can find out some more of those stories and bring them to you guys. Um, but all right, guys, that, that wraps up the first five for us. We're, we're into our top five now. How, how do we think we've done so far? Pretty solid. I think we're pretty just scratching the surface. I think these yeah. top five are going to be pretty special. I think we got some some good ones coming up. All right, I Isaiah, like you uh, you lead us off. Um, I'd say mine's not uh, anything too spectacular. I mean, if you consider Dustin Johnson hitting a 430 yard drive to be not that special, but if you remember last year at the Century Tournament of Champions, so or actually two years ago, we just got to 2020, so 2018 Century Tournament of Champions. <laughs> um, Dustin hit his drive 430 yards on the 12th hole. Mind you, a little bit downhill and I think a little bit downwind as well. But the end result was a two-foot putt for Eagle, I think. Now, you called it not that special, but Brandel Chambly might have called it the greatest shot ever hit in golf. Yeah. So, take that with a grain of salt. (laughs) But – that was pretty freaking sweet. And that thing had to hit Velcro. I remember watching it on TV and this was this baby, this ball was careening off the, you know, this steep downslope hits the green rolls. I know these greens are rolling fast down there. They're not like your local Muni. And then all of a sudden four inches to the hole, it just says not today and just stops. It should have went in and I'm still calling BS on it. Not going in. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor may drivers, the rig. Yeah. That's a, I, I was probably going to put that down, but I didn't because, to be honest, I wasn't – that was an in, insane shot, but also a lot of factors, I, like you were saying, like the downhill and the, and the wind helped them out. But to me, about that shot is what you were saying, Dalton, and Isaiah, how did, it just stopped. It just literally stopped. I mean, you're looking – I know I've experienced Hawaii ground – <laughs> it's hard as a rock. That ball was flying. I mean, they're putting you know, in between 175 and 180 ball speed. You know, you're downwind, downhill. You're hitting that ground. That ball's coming off hot. And for it to stop with the two inches like that, as if no it was a, like a little wedge shot, was that was weird. Now, speaking of those ball speed numbers and just jumping right into my number five, my number five is the TrackMan technology. And the flight scope, um, you know, as an overall overarching technology that's been brought to the game here in the last decade. Now, it was 2003 that TrackMan was first invented, but it wasn't until 2011 that TrackMan was made a mobile technology that could be brought to the course. Now you see every tour player in existence having either themselves or their 
crew carrying a little briefcase, a little orange briefcase with a track man inside that they're taking with them on the, on the uh, practice screens. They're taking with them out in the course, you know, tr- to, to track launches off of downhill lies, uphill lies, whatever it may be. And I think that technology being as mobile as it is now and in the last decade has completely changed the way any, pro- any person looking to go professional or any pro that's out there on tour practices. It's completely changed the way we look at the game of golf. And yeah, I think can, it's because of all that information. I mean, you're basically dialing in your swing. Like you got, so you got wind in the face, you got a little uphill and you know, a number you got to hit, you know, that exact swing. I, I think that's pretty cool. I love track fan. I love going down the, down the second swing. They have, every bay has it. I wish I could just, I wish I could have one, but they're so damn expensive. I don't know. <laughs> No, no free ads, but know. second swing's a spot to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I mean, actually, I, I got a little yeah. note here that when it was first invented, it was $200,000 per TrackMan machine. Now they're around like 15 to 20, depending on the model you get and uh, every, all the, you know. Now, uh, is that just for the machine? Because I think you have to still pay for the software too, right? I think it's I, like a yearly update for the software, but I, I know right up front, out of the box, ready to use is like 15 grand, 20 grand, somewhere around there. Yeah, but still, here's, here's, here's used, used, to be, used to be 200,000. Yeah. So track bands come a long way and the technology's come a long way. And I, I won't be surprised if within the next decade, something as small as your, as your computer in your hand, or I mean your phone in your hand, is, uh, is what's tracking everything that you need to know about what track band's doing today. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and for the Corn Ferry events I've played, um, if you don't have a track man, um, <laughs> yeah. you're probably the only one on the driving range or on the course that doesn't have one of those. But that being said, you also have to have fairly deep pockets. Um, the cheapest I've been able to find them with a special discount is around 10 grand mm-hmm. starting. I don't know if that includes software that might be covered with how advanced the technology is now. Software updates might just do it automatically. But if you get a track man, you've also got to purchase an iPad or some other tablet to pair with it. Otherwise you yeah. can't view numbers. So um, to be able to dial in your spin rates, launch angles, um, to be able to adjust specifically playing courses at altitude, even at 800 feet, you're looking at a two, three yard difference plus or minus. So <laughs> to be able to recognize that and take a track man everywhere to calculate those numbers for you, it takes the guesswork out. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that's my number five. And uh, you know, I think, uh, I think there's still room to be had in that industry, but it's, it's brought the golf game a leaps and bounds from where it was before all this technology was so mobile. So, Dante, how, how do you round out your number five? I'm going to go with my dear friend. Well, not really. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ricky Fowler at the Players in 2015 when he had to play 17, was it three times? Two or three yeah. times? On a, on a sun, Sunday, three times, right? It was three times on a Sunday? Yeah, and just hit perfect shots every single time. That's, that's hard to do coming down in the quote-unquote unofficial fifth major that all the players saw some say it to be that's a lot of pressure i mean that's a huge field that's a very strong field and to come out and do that and i believe it it was mother's day as well too Mm -hmm. so he did it his mom was there 
Funny and, story about, I believe, his mom and his girlfriend that were there at the time. He was six strokes back going into that Sunday round, too. Really? Made that last, which made that last push so exciting. His mom and girlfriend had left for the airport. They were, like, basically boarding a plane. And then he gets to, like, 17 in the first round, in the final round, before the, all the playoffs. And he's on, like, a he's on, I think he birdied four of the last five or something like that to get into the playoff. So his girlfriend and mother had to turn around from the airport and make it back for this playoff. So, you know, his final round alone uh, was, was something to be, you know, enamored at. And then the shots he hit on 17 back to back to back were just absolutely that, insane. I don't think anything that, was outside of five feet. No, that pin location, the green Dirty. was so Dirty. tiny if you're looking at where he was. He was just throwing darts there at that time. I mean, and that was and that was the first time Kevin Kisner really made a push at a big tournament too, because I think that's who he beat in that tournament. Yeah, I was watching and, the video today, and that's you know he congratulated him there. Yeah, he was playing against Kevin Kisner, and and just to see how Kevin Kisner was playing great golf for a, like about three or four weeks, and when you beat someone who's peaking like that too, like Kevin Kisner was at that time, you know you got to hit some stellar shots, and and Ricky did that, which uh, was a true testament to not only you know. It, it it had been his time in previous uh, tournaments, and he kind of let him slip away. So to have him finally grab a, a marquee win like that was was huge for not only him then, but like his career as an, an entirety. Mm. Oh, yeah. Speaking of uh, of stellar golf shots, I'm going to move on to my number four, um, which is going to take us back to I believe it was 2011, the Masters Championship at Augusta National, uh, the first playoff hole, hole number ten. Um, you remember one of the players decided he was going to hit it in the fairway. And then of course, you know, Bubba Watson in the trees on the right-hand side. Um, if you remember the other guy, he hit it 20 feet, 30 feet, decent shot by all means. But Bubba, um, he was deep in the hippie <laughs> lettuce over there. I mean, he was gone. He was searching for Sasquatch. Um, but from 156 yards, he hooks a 52 or 54 degree wedge, whichever it was. Hooks it a solid 20, 30 yards out and around the trees, lands on the green, and spins up to about 15 feet. Um, by far, that's probably one of the most incredible shots ever. Yeah. yeah that that was, thing uh, had sauce. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was one of mine early years since I wasn't really in the golf at the time. Though It was actually 2012, and that was my number three. I wrote the bubble hook. Mm-hmm. I and I remember watching that too. My dad had it on, and I came home probably from lacrosse practice or something. And you know, I get there and I'm watching the TV, and he just hits like I think he hooded it, and he just whips this thing around and to wrap it or at it, take it out of the woods, wrap it around those trees, and stick it to the green like that. Definitely one of my favorite shots in golf of all time. Yeah, and I think it was so cool too. Just be- and this is the way I look at it, and maybe you know it's something you guys haven't seen, but like he was wearing all white on that Sunday. Yeah. So to hit it that yep. deep in the woods, he just stuck out like a sore thumb. It was one of those points where like everyone in America could relate. It was like, yeah, he hit his golf ball to where he just simply shouldn't be. And I think a lot of us have done that before. And especially as you start climbing deeper and deeper into the woods, you know, you get within the leaves and the trees and then all the patrons around him. It just, it was such an iconic picture of him just so far deep. All you could see was green kind of canopy and people around him. And um, I just thought that was, it was so, it, it was just made for a, per, a picture perfect moment. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, that done, was done that before. I still do that. Get out of here. I was gonna say we <laughs> we 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 can relate to Bubba only in the tee shot, not the entirety <laughs> of the rest of the hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, kind of bumping off of that, my number four actually goes into golf at more of a worldwide scale and golf showing up in the Olympics for the first time in over 80 years. Um, it was just such a cool spectacle to see um, with, you know, not only the course being built specifically for the Olympics, um, but just seeing golf at a world scale like that and um, seeing both professionals and amateurs play in an event like that um, for an Olympic medal, um, was something that was just truly, um, you know, I don't think anyone alive or, or anyone I know has been able to see golf in the Olympics. So, um, it was just truly a spectacle for the game as a whole. Um, and then Justin Rose coming out on top, um, I feel like kind of reinvigorated his game a little bit. He went on to, um, you know, win a lot of world events after that. And, um, Stenson being right up there in the mix, getting silver and Kuchar getting bronze. Um, it just kind of like, it really did show at that time who was the best players in the world. Um, and it, you know, whether it sticks around for another 80 years or, or they, you know, kick it out. All I hope is within the next Olympics, we see Tiger Woods at least compete for a gold medal. Cause that's kind of the only thing on his resume that um, no one else has within the last 80 years, especially with Jack and, you know, Gary player and those guys, they, they weren't able to compete for a gold medal. Um, so as if Tiger Woods needs any more bolstering to that resume of his and an Olympic medal would be pretty sweet to add on top of that. Yeah. And to go off of that, I mean, one I thought was cool was both men and women played the same course that week. So it was cool to see how they, you know, it's the same game, but it's two different games at the same time. It was mm -hmm. awesome to see how they both played, how they attacked the course. Yeah, and, and I think that yeah. gets, that gets lost a lot in the the yearly like in the yearly events because you know women are at one place and men are at another, and you never really get to see you know kind of a co-ed event like that where you're seeing different tees being played and different um, different shots being hit just because of it being women hitting the shot versus men hitting the shot and playing it from different tees and vice versa. So I think that is really neat to see, um, in a, in such a short span like that, like, Oh wow, the women have played it like that. And the men played it like that. And, um, you know, not ever saying we're knocking the women because it's just, it's just cool to see that contrast of, of golf being played, um, at the same venue in a short amount of time like that. Absolutely. Yeah, that was pretty looking, cool to see. And I'm and I'm looking here because um, I'm really interested to see now what your what your gold, silver, bronze was. Looks like NB Park took home that gold medal uh, for the for the women's uh, with Lydia Ko, which she went on an absolute tear in the previous decade. wasn't on my list, but um, she went on an absolute tear at such a young age. And then Sashang Feng from China took home bronze. So. A um, couple of Americans in the list, you know, in the top 10, Stacey Lewis, uh, Charlie Hall from Great Britain. But, you know, uh, just to see so many different world representatives for the game in the men's women's side was really neat to see. Yeah. And that's something like doesn't happen. You know, that's every four years. You know, it's not a routine thing that gets you get to see and win you have that opportunity and you get called saying, Hey, we want you to represent your country to play in the Olympics. 
that's something that definitely I hey, I'm when's my next flight? I'm out there, you know, and the fact that like Ricky Fowler even got the Olympic rings tattooed on his arm just says <laughs> and means a lot to yeah. how much that means to those those players who were able to participate in it. Absolutely. But also so. we have the Ryder Cup which is essentially our golf version of the Olympics to mm-hmm. begin with. But to see it be taken to a, a much larger platform uh, from a media perspective, that's really cool to see that as well. Yeah. I felt like there was a need for it too. And this is kind of the last thing I'll say on it. And then I'll let you guys get to your fours. But um, it, this, like you said, the Ryder cup is like our thing, but it's, it's not at, at a world level because it's just Europe versus the u.s and then we have the president's cup that brings in the internationals but golf doesn't have like a world cup per se or like a like a true or until it was brought back into the olympic spectacle a true like cup like that so i would still even like to see something be added where it's a team event sort of deal take your top maybe four from each country bring it together you know or whatever and um i still think there's there's room to be added in that but that's the last thing i'll say about that i just i think golf in the olympics is is great for the game and i I can't wait to see what the next olympics hold absolutely dante what's your uh what's your number three you're on number three right we on number three uh well my number three was already said is the bubble hook yeah, in that's right. 2012. So, and I think I think you both have your fours yet. I I do believe I could be mistaken. My <laughs> so my number four was Tiger Woods winning the Masters. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, go you better have that. you better have three good ones after that. Is all I gotta say. <laughs> so that's all got I one. gotta say. Listen, I had I got another one. All right, uh, all right. But, yeah, number four is Tiger. I mean, these are top ten in 10 years so i know i know i'm just saying (laughs) yeah tiger woods winning the masters 2019 now that was uh i don't have too much to say about that other than it was iconic absolutely iconic um yeah i'm gonna let it go with that because i could go on for hours and i'm not even gonna open the can that's just everybody (laughs) knows it's been so recent everybody knows it's just iconic that's that's all i have to say about that one no doubt Logue four (laughs) uh so my four was it was actually going to be Spieth's hole out, his bunker shot at the John Deere. <laughs> so instead, I'll go ahead and move on to what would be my number four now. Um, it's actually the official start of the 2019 Masters. So if you guys don't know, if you don't watch the Masters, which if you don't, well, you need to. Um, Arnold Palmer, Gary Player, and Jack Nicholas always start off the Masters with their ceremonial opening tee shots. And uh, the golf industry definitely missed one of its uh, huge influencers this year with Arnold Palmer passing. But I thought it was um, it was an incredible moment to see Gary Player um, break down in tears on the opening tee shot. And I think it was because they all were missing their buddy that had been with them that had enjoyed the walk with them for you know, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it has been. So for me, I think that was probably the coolest moment for the 2019 Masters aside from Tiger wrapping it up with a solid win. And how cool was it too, just to see Arnie's family there, his, you know, his old bag with his old clubs and his old green jacket. Um, It's very apparent that once you start, you know, becoming golf's elite, um, that it's a very tight knit industry and it's a very, uh, family oriented industry. Um, we even saw it with just some of the media that got to hang out with Gary player. Um, when, once you get into the golf industry, it's a very small, small community. 
and they treat everyone like family. And especially, you know, it doesn't take much to treat someone right, but it goes a long way to treat someone right. And looking at, you know, the, um, the epitome of character and the way to treat someone right was Arnold Palmer. So um, it showed in leaps and bounds that he was the person and everyone's idol and everyone's buddy um, on that first tee missing him at Augusta. So that, that was huge. For sure. And, you know, not to, to toot my own horn, but after playing some good golf in high school, I actually received a personal letter from Arm mm-hmm. himself. So for a guy like that to take the time out of his day to write a letter to me, which in the grand scheme of things, a, a guy winning a state championship means absolutely nothing. But for a guy like that to take time out of his day to write a personal letter, that means the world to me or meant the world to me still does still have the letter. Um, definitely will miss seeing him open up the masters each year. Absolutely. And, and kind of just touching that too. Um, just, you know, one of my good friends from college, um, Nick Biondi, if you're out there, buddy, I hope you're listening. Um, you know, he, Nick wrote him a, a letter, uh, back in high school and, and, you know, it wasn't even for winning anything. It was just reaching out to Mr. Palmer and, you know, telling him how much he appreciated what he did for the game being from Pennsylvania. And, um, Nick also got a letter back from Mr. Palmer. So it just, it does, it does speak to just how he, truly did think about every one of his fans and um there's a reason there's a tournament after him now and a whole foundation surrounding arnold palmer um and you know people getting the arnold palmer award for being you know an upstanding individual and uh definitely arnold palmer's presence will be missed in uh great multitude here in the next in the next however however long golf is being played i think he'll still always be remembered but his true presence is missed (laughs) <laughs> back an Arnold Palmer beverage for him tonight. Yes, sir. There we'll tip go. one back to you, Arnie. <laughs> <laughs> so hey, without, uh, without getting too many teary eyes going on here, we'll, uh, <laughs> I'll jump into my number three and it's, uh, it's actually going back to Roy McIlroy. So, um, mm. I usually don't like to put on a top 10, the same person twice, but I feel like he in, t- in the, in the de- past decade has absolutely earned it. Um, his 2016 tour championship, um, the way he finished out that tour championship was absolutely insane. Holding a 140 yard wedge shot on the par four 16th um, ends up make, ends up shooting 64 in the last round to get him in the three-way playoff ends up winning the three-way playoff with like a 25 footer played well all week long. Um, so, I mean, he just absolutely put on a display um, and that was kind of the culmination of him playing a, damn good year of golf that year as well. Um, and I think that's kind of propelled him not only, you know, he's had, he had a couple majors before that, but I think it propelled him into just absolute tear. He's been playing unbelievable golf. Um, and he's another one where I'm looking in 2020 to really contend for a major. Um, he, he's hot and it's, it's only a matter of time. Think we'll get that green jacket soon. He's on my short list of guys for 2020 at the Masters. I'm going to put it. I'm going to put that out there right now. Um, I'm not saying who I'm picking for the Masters yet, but he's on a short list. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I'll throw mine out there right now. Yeah, but I'm not going to. So that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. What's your What's your number three? Well, my number three is real short and sweet. We already discussed it. Bubba Hook. Yep. Uh, so we can just move on. <laughs> That's it, Logue. All right, where are we at, Logue? Um, I'm surprised nobody has put this one down yet. I really am. But uh, does anyone a- remember Bill Haas? 
holding out hit or not holding out, but hitting his, um, I, I guess we'll call it a bunker chip shot. That, is that from the water? Yeah. Yeah. From yep. the water. That was my number shot. two. Mm-hmm. Oh man. How I, that was just, that was so incredible that he, a wanted to play that in a situation like that. He could have taken a bogey and I believe still been in a playoff, like yep. a par one it outright, but a bogey would have got him into a playoff. So to have the, like, I don't even know what you call it. Do you call it just dumb? I don't know, but he played it to perfection. <laughs> Sometimes you have to just play that way in order to, you know, take those take those shots and pull them off. Is don't think and you know just play dumb. Boy, it was just, impressive. Just go though. with it. In his, I think it ties did, into Bubba too. Yeah, Bubba's hook yeah. shot. Yeah. I mean, you see the shot, you feel it, and you hit it, just like in the movie Seven Days in Utopia. See it, feel it, trust it. Oh, yep. I love that movie. That's what it comes yeah. down to. I, mean, I saw the shot, knew he could hit it, and just executed. Quick recommendation because I don't want to completely step, jump over that reference if no one, uh, none of our listeners know that. There's a great movie out there called Seven Days in Utopia. Um, golf movie. Really, really good movie. Uh, it's uh, kind of, I'll just give you this little tagline. It's uh, from one of the guys teaching in that movie, teaching the game of golf. He says, see it, feel it, trust it. Um, absolutely go out there and watch it great golf movie and i guarantee you if you watch it once you'll probably watch it about 10 times so Robert quick recommendation ball, from us Black, KJ back Boy. to the back yeah, to the Lucas top 10 Black, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also but yeah, that was that that was my number two so uh dante i'll let you roll on with yours all right so i broke your rule already uh i have a player more than once on my top 10 and to try and prove you wrong as to why Tiger's master win was number four, I think Tiger's comeback at the Tour Championship trumps the Tiger's master's win just because of everything that just went down and what he's been through over the past decade and the previous years of his injury and the spinal fusion and all that that just – come back and the fact that he walked up through had to like run through the people coming oh, up behind him and and McElroy's sitting there and he's like is this what's going on you could see it on his face like this is insane to them have him go up and win that uh that's my number two right there is that tour championship tiger comeback 2018 my number two a for you is going to be the marshals just letting the people flood that fairway. Yeah, that was I mean, awesome to see. That, that was so cool, and just put an exclamation point on what was already just a defining moment in the in the season to have to have the people flood the fairway like that, and to just I don't know, I don't know if I could have or you could have scripted a better way to end that uh, to end that tour championship with with yeah, the way the fans interact with championship Tiger. pretty much the end of end of the season you know yeah. i mean i know they have other tournaments here and there in between you know from the tour championship up and in, including to the new year but in my eyes once the tour championship hits and you know football starting that that's done everything else is it is what it is in my opinion but yeah the end it like kind of put like icing on the cake or whatever it was it was pretty pretty sick to say absolutely now i uh i appreciate that because i was i was super skeptical after you said about tigers masters win being yeah. four 
I was like, he's got to follow that up with something real yeah. good. So I'm happy you. I'm happy you went that direction because that's. I was pretty- like, I gotta, I gotta prove him wrong here. I was like, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of took a step back. I, that hit me in the feels a little bit. Saying my list, you know. No, just kidding. But yeah. <laughs> no, I. Uh, my number one is um, only because some no one's ever held these two titles not even Tiger at the same time is Brooks Kepka going back to back at the U S open and the PGA championship, Aaron Hills and Shinnecock for the U S open in 2017 and 2018. And then for the PGA championship, Belle Reeve and the Beth page 17 and 18. Um, that's just impressive. I don't care who you are, um, how much of a Tiger fan you are, and should say that one of his moments were the best. And I get that. I'm a I'm a Tiger fan till the day I die. But you got to respect good golf and unprecedented golf when you see it. And to hold two majors consecutive like that, the golf game has never seen it before. Um, so you got to give you got to give props where props is due. And Brooks Kepka not only won those tournaments but absolutely dominated when he won those majors. So um, that's my number one. And I think with good, with good reason. <laughs> I have to agree. And, uh, and before going out and playing, calling everybody out on it too, basically saying, look, 80% of you have no chance. And the other 20% are just yeah, that playing was... for second place. <laughs> yeah. He didn't do it. He didn't do it in like a Rory McIlroy fashion where he was like thanking yeah. everyone for coming out and really nice playing with you. He was like, no, 80% of you guys suck and uh, 20% of you guys, you're not, I mean, you're here, but are you really here? Cause I don't see you. And yeah, to, to back that kind of talk up with the play ballsy. <laughs> and that's something you got, if you're going to talk, talk the talk like that, like what they, they say, you better, you better walk the walk. And he definitely did there. Oh, no doubt about it. So, Logue, wrap us, wrap us up for our top 10 from 2020. What you got? Gosh. Um, this one's probably a little lesser known, and it's not PGA, but it actually goes back to Corn Ferry, but an extension of that, which would be uh, Latin America Tour. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't know, uh, the Visa Open de Argentina. If you play that event, the winner will get an exemption into the Open Championship. And uh a local guy that a lot of us are familiar with the name of a Pennsylvanian, um, Brandon Matthews actually was in a playoff to, you know, win the tournament and have a, a shot at an exemption into the open championship. And they get on the, you know, I, I suppose the final playoff hole and he's standing over a putt and a fan yells out from the crowd, screams at him and it causes him to flinch on his putt, which he misses. And obviously he reacts and turns around and shouts at a fan um, after the fact, we come to find out that uh, the fan was, you know, diagnosed or he has Down syndrome and it was special needs. And um, Matthews was able to go over and assess the situation and made a great connection with the fan and gave him a hug, a ball, glove. And um, for me to be able to to see the impact that a professional golfer can have on people in a situation where he was obviously pissed off and rightfully so, um, to see him go over there and you know, do something sort of in the spirit of Arnold Palmer was uh, pretty awesome to see. You don't see that much. Not at all. And I think it, it speaks just to the absolute character and outstanding person that Brandon Matthews is um, being going to college. Like I did in the Scranton area um, and Matthews being from that, you know, greater Scranton area um, himself. He um, he's definitely a very large, 
rightly talked about figure within that area. Um, and as I went through college, I was only about a year behind him, even though he went to Temple um, University in Philadelphia. There was a lot of people in Scranton that were constantly saying, you know, hey, this this Brandon Matthews kid, he's he's a little different than the rest. He, he's got the game, you know. Uh, but above all, not only were they complimenting his golf game, they just consistently complimented what a great human being he was and how he treated people throughout, you know, any of the circumstances. And um, it was really amazing to see that kind of shine through in the worst of moments when he, and a lot of other people could have taken the low road and cursed somebody out or, you know, um, just made a mess of a situation like that. Instead, he turned it into one of the highlights of, uh, the year and that even the golf channel had picked up and, you know, ESPN picked up and, uh, it was, it was, a, it was a true feel good story. Um, and I, and I give kudos to Brandon Matthews for, for being that shining light that we all know is in everyone that plays the game of golf. And, uh, hopefully we can get more stories like that in the next decade. Absolutely. Yeah. So guys, I hope you enjoyed our, uh, roundup of the last decade we're in 2020 now so um yeah i don't know can One anything top can anything top tiger in 2019 i don't know probably him doing it again i love that no but i guess i don't know if we want to tell the viewers uh you know, great start off for the 2020 uh, year. Uh, enjoy the walk. We will be at the PGA show coming Absolutely. up this, this January in a couple of weeks. We're excited to be down there. It's very, I know it's pretty hard to get in. Uh, so we'll be there. If any of you guys are there, just give us a shout out and let us know. We'll be happy to meet up and, you know, you know, shoot the shit. Absolutely. Uh, like, like Dante said, we are uh, blessed to have the, uh, the credentialed media passes. So uh, we're going to be out and about and trying to see as many people as we can and uh, just trying to build relationships within the industry. So if, like he said, if anyone's down there, uh, you can hit message us up on Twitter or Instagram at underscore enjoy the walk. Um, if you guys want to set up a, you know, an interview or anything like that, feel free to email us at enjoy the walk 19 at gmail.com. We'd be glad to talk with you guys and set something up there. So, um, or, you know, you guys, uh, can reach out to all of us. I don't think we've actually given our own personal, uh, Instagrams out. So, you know, mine's at D Deerdorf, D E A R D O R F F one nine nine four on Instagram. Uh, you guys can reach out to me on there as well. Um, and you know, Dante, I don't know if you want to give out Mine, your... Yeah, mine's a, at Dante Frederico, all one word, Dante, D-A-N-T-E, Frederico, F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C-O. So give me a follow or give me a shout out. You want to talk? Whatever. Whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> Not follow? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's completely up to you. But uh, if you guys want to follow, uh, mine's ID Logue, I-D-L-O-G-U-E. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I don't have Twitter, but I am on Facebook, Instagram. Um, if you guys want to follow, go ahead, do that and keep an eye out for some more great content and, you know, follow me on my journey to try to get on the corn ferry and ultimately PGA. Absolutely guys. I always try and tag these two peeps on every post that we do at enjoy the walk. So, uh, feel free to look down through our last 
or our previous posts and you can find us on there as well. Also, if you guys feel like picking up any merch, we have beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, everything you need on our website, www.enjoythewalk.store. So check that out and feel free to uh, rep the Enjoy the Walk brand wherever you may be enjoying the walk this spring or in the cold season. So as we said, we'll be at the PGA show in 2020. Guys, we are pumped and thanks for listening to us. As always, enjoy the walk. Enjoy the walk. Enjoy the walk. That's the stuff. One shot at a time.